Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Those words of God are from Hebrews, that's chapter 10, 23 to 25, so that's the scripture that I'll be preaching from. Okay, in 2008, Laurel and I moved to, uh, we moved out here. We were not for, uh, originally from Massachusetts. We moved out here. I was, um, I was going to school at the time. We were newly part of Seven Mile Road. And we were living in an apartment up on, up in Hamilton, so a good deal north of, of Malden, where we were worshiping at the time. And we were, you know, we're just brand new. I'm going to school. We're trying to get to meet people. And we were invited to a Christmas party in Medford. So we're like, that's cool. We're starting to meet people. This is great. So we're like on Google Maps, Medford, hmm, 35 minutes. So we're like, oh, that's great. We start driving uh, south to this Christmas party in Medford. And remember, we're new. We don't understand things. It's December, and it's like, you know, 6 o'clock at night. It's snowing. and We don't really understand these realities yet of things like rush hour and snow and that it actually takes 35 minutes just to go past the North Shore Mall. So by the time we reach the little split between 93 and 95, I actually had three problems at that point. One is we'd been driving for an hour and 45 minutes, and we were an hour late to this party. Two, I had lost my salvation back around Linfield. <laughs> and then three... I didn't want to go to the party anymore. You know, like, have you ever been there? You're like, you get angry, you get upset, and you're like, I don't even want to be here anymore. I'm not, I don't, the whole purpose of this is now gone because I don't even want to be here. So that was where I'm at. I don't want to be around, around people anymore. So I want you to hold that in your mind as I get into this, as I get into this text here in Hebrews. Okay? It starts out, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, what's the, that phrase, confession of our hope, is important. What is the confession of our hope that the writer's telling us to hold fast to? The confession of our hope is actually the gospel itself, that Jesus Christ died, that Jesus Christ rose, that Jesus will come again. That is the confession of our hope that Christians, right, everywhere around the world for 2,000 years have been confessing, have been, hold, have been proclaiming. That's the hope that unifies us. And the writer says we should hold fast to that confession. Well, why, does that, why is that important? Why are we told to hold fast without wavering? Why, why are we warned that? Well, I think the answer is simple. The answer is because we waver, Right? So how many of you have felt before like, like I'm a Christian, but for like, like five days of the week. And then for the other two, it's like, yeah, I don't even have, like I don't have any love for Jesus. I don't have any consistency. I don't have any affection in my heart for Christ. Like how many of you have gone to sleep feeling great and it's like you wake up in the morning and you have new ideas for how to sin. 
right? Like we just don't, we, we, we waver, right? That's our, that's our condition. We, we waver from our hope. But the writer says, hold fast without wavering. Hold fast. Grip onto it tightly, firmly. In other words, he's saying that our grip on the confession of our hope, it should be like Charlton Heston and his rifle, right? Like this. Hold fast. For, hang onto it firmly. But how do we do that? How do we actually do that? We're told why, right? The confession of our hope is important. It's the gospel itself. How do we do it? Well, let me keep, let me keep working through. It's because he who promised is faithful. God, the one who spoke the world into existence, he is faithful. All his promises are yes and amen. God is 100% consistent and true. That's why we hold fast. But how do we hold fast? Well, let me give you a little story as an example. Uh, when I was a teenager, I spent part of years 16 and 17 at a wilderness school up in the very north woods of Michigan. Okay, don't ask why, but I was up there. Okay, this is the part of Michigan that if you look on a map, there's Michigan then there's Wisconsin, and then there's even a little bit more of Michigan, up where it, it really is Canada. That's where, I, that's where I was. I was part of this wilderness school, and we were doing, you know, outdoor adventures, feats of strength, etc. And uh, one day I was told we were going to learn how to repel. R-A-P-E-L-L, repel. Okay, that might be a familiar word to some of you. Some of you it's not. What that basically is, is you take a rope, and fix it from a higher point. And then you attach the rope to yourself and use that to navigate your way down a mountain or cliff. Okay, so which is a lot of fun if you actually are trained and know what you're doing. Otherwise, terrifying. So I was told we were going to repel. So I just took the orders uh, from the, the uh, guy who was sort of looking over our, our unit of people. And I clipped my little carabiner onto my belt and we were going to go down like a 200-foot cliff. The way this cliff worked is the first 100 feet or so went at like a 45-degree angle, kind of like this, and then it just dropped off for the last 100 feet. And right at the, at the edge where uh, the edge where it went from 45 degrees to a straight drop-off, is some, you put down something called an edge protection. What that is is like a surface underneath the rope so that the rope doesn't just chafe against the cliff and snap on you. So I hook on and I start kind of navigating my way down the mountain like this, looking up at the, you know, the people above me. They're getting smaller and smaller until I come to the drop off. And there I look and realize my rope slipped. My rope's not on the edge protection. It's just kind of rubbing against the side of the rock. And I looked up at the guy and I was like, Hey, the rope slipped. He looked down at me. He was like, you're good. And I just kind of looked up at him and my boot, I started to look down. You could just see like little spots below. And I looked up and I said, the rope slipped. 
He looked at me again and he just said, Don't let go! <laughs> so I just, I just went for it and I bounced down the rock about as fast as anyone, about as quickly and as ungracefully as anyone could. And when my boots actually hit the bottom, you know that feeling when your feet hit something so hard that it reverberates in the back of your brain? That was me just hitting the ground as fast as anyone possibly could. Do you think I ever repelled again? No desire to repel after that, right? I almost killed myself. I seriously almost killed myself on that rock. Because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just told, grip on and you can do it, right? It isn't that kind of how we think sometimes when we think about, when we think about, uh, the confession of our hope. We're just like, oh, I waver, I sin. Well, next time I'm gonna try harder. I will do it better next time. I'm gonna just strengthen my grip. Is that what we can do? Well, let me keep going. We're told it's important. Hold fast to the confession of our hope. But how? How do we not waver? Let me keep going. There's a second let us here. The first is let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. The second is let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Consider. To stir up to one one another to love and good works. That phrase, stir up, is interesting. It literally means to provoke or to get riled or to get excited about something. We stir up one another to love and to good works. Now, here's a question. Who would you best know how to stir up? Who would you best know how to provoke? For example, if you told me to provoke someone that I didn't know, I would be a little bit at a loss, right? If you told me, just go get that person riled up, I would be like, well, I don't really, I don't really know how. What am I supposed to do? Just, just go up and poke them from behind? Just call them a name? Just be annoying? But the people that we know and love, we know how to stir those people up, right? There was a while, um, there was a while in, our marriage where I had like kind of an Eric Clapton phase. So I was really into like this kind of classic rock stuff. And um, some of you that are into Eric Clapton, you might know there's like kind of like a famous song where he, he, uh, his band is playing at like the four minute mark. He begins to solo in another key from the rest of the band. And I heard that and I was like, that's cool. I, I, that's just cool. So I played it for my wife, Laurel, who's very musical. She listened to the whole song and she was just like, it's terrible. It's terrible. So after that, when I was driving alone in the car, I would play the CD till about that four minute mark, just when the like dissonant, when the dissonant solo starts. And then I would turn off the car so that I knew that next time she got in, that's exactly where it would start, right? <laughs> so what happened, what happens then? Provocation, right? We, I stirred her up. Okay. It's the people that we know the best that we can stir up the best. Am I right? So if I wanted to stir up Joey, I would just say, it's easy. I would just say, Kendrick Perkins trade, and then just back away, right? <laughs> and then things just start. Or like, I could tell Sarah, did you know that it's statistically flying is actually safer than driving? <laughs> and then just like, she would be stirred up, right? Provocation happens. Okay. If I wanted to stir up John Coppola, I would be like, BC has a new recruit. 
he's going to be better than Flutie. And then I would just back away, right? He'd be stirred up. We know how to stir up the people. We know how to stir up the people that we know and love the best. And what this scripture is telling us is that we should actually stir up one another, but for the purpose of love and good works. Not the simple purpose of annoying that I'm, that I'm giving you, but to love and to good works. Now this idea of good works is interesting, right? Because we, we wonder sometimes, what are good works? The Bible actually teaches us that good works are anything that is, that are done in faith. In other words, anything that we are doing in obedience to God because we believe that He is good and sovereign and Lord, those are good works. So you might be like, ah, I don't have any great works to do. I'm not going to go to Africa. I'm not going to cure malaria. I don't have, I'm not doing something amazing with my work. Or maybe you actually are. But regardless, good works are not impressive works, right? They could be caring for your children. They could be talking to the neighbor. They could be, you know, bringing a meal to someone who's been sick. They could be faithfully doing your job. All of those things, if they are done in response to God, because he is Lord and because he is good, the Bible says those are good works. We need to be faithful in them. But we need to consider how to do them. I want to just look at this this word consider. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So each Monday morning, I will take time, usually as part of my job, I'll take time, I'll sit down, have a, have a cup of coffee, and look over what I have to do for the week. Right? So I in that time, I think, so what's on my plate this week for work? What's our financial situation? What does my wife need? What do the kids need? Maybe like there's some house projects, that type of thing, right? So I'll consider, like, we do those things just to like kind of keep ourselves on track. That's fine. That's great. Okay. But one thing I realized as I read this was all I'm thinking about is myself. I'm just really thinking about myself, making sure the bills are paid and that we have what we need. This says, let us consider, like actually give careful attention to how to stir up one another to love and good works. Isn't that interesting? Like, we often think that this Christian thing is just like a lone wolf thing where we need to grip on and hold fast and pursue God. But this says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What would it look like if you actually built that into your day, into your week, into your month, that you could encourage someone, that you could stir up someone to love and to good works. I want you, I want us to look at uh, a di- slightly different scripture of passage passage of scripture in Ephesians two. Ephesians two. This is the Apostle Paul writing. I will read this. This is Ephesians two eight through ten. It says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith." And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Slightly different way of saying that would be, you are not saved by your works, but you are saved to do good works. 
Does that make sense? God is saving you through His free grace, completely apart from your works. And yet, you belong to God if you are His, and He has planned good works that you should do, that we should do, created in Christ Jesus. God prepared them beforehand. That is an unbelievable thing to think about, that God has saved you and that there are unique good works for you to do that God has prepared beforehand in his mind before time that you specifically are called to do, to bring glory to God. Not to save yourself, but to bring glory to God. God has prepared them for you. But we waver, right? And that's why we need that encouragement. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So like a lot of times, I can be doing good work, but then there's a time of discouragement, right? There's a time where we're like, uh, I, I don't even know why it's important anymore. I, I'm just discouraged. People are annoying. I don't, I don't want to do this stuff anymore. Whatever that might be. That could be your job or people that you deal with. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What I'm saying is, what if we were just as, just as concerned with not just achieving our own individual works that God has called us to do, not just to accomplishing your personal destiny, but if you were just as concerned about together achieving those love and good works, how much could this church do? Think about that. Think about the glory to God that would be brought, that would be brought if people, if the church together was on board with seeing those good works accomplished. Okay, so we said, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. That was the first lettuce. The second was, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Point one, point two. I still haven't really said how. I touched on it slightly, but underneath both those lettuce exhortations is this last verse. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. See, like a lot of people, we think we should just kind of do it on ourselves, do it on our own. Like, it's fine to have community so long as it's convenient, but really, like, when it gets down to it, I'm a lone wolf, right? That's what we tend to think. We do this thing on our own. We don't really need the help of others. When the going gets tough, that's the time to count on yourself. The writer's saying, hold fast the confession of your hope, Stir up one another to love and good works. But how? Not neglecting to meet together. If you are saved into the body of Christ, you need that whole body. You need that whole body. You need one another stirring each other up to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Right? This was 2,000 years ago, and the writer is pointing out there are a lot of people that think they can do it themselves. As is the habit of some. Meet together. Okay? And meet together is, yes, Sunday morning. Okay? Definitely. It's coming together on the Lord's Day, worshiping God with the family of God. But meeting together also means a community of people that depend on each other in the realities of day-to-day -day and week-to-week. Both and. Okay? It means that when you're discouraged when you, and you're depressed, the answer is not isolation. Okay? The answer is not... Uh, the answer is not just hide by yourself in your bedroom and repent of sins and buck yourself up and do better next time. The answer is not neglecting to meet together. 
but being in relationship with one another so that you are encouraging each other to love and to good works. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This last point, the day drawing near, I want to, I want to just, uh, mention this as well. Sometimes we, because we're sort of vague, I think about, um, what the end times will be like, we avoid talking about it altogether. But Hebrews says, it is appointed to man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He will come again, he will come again, not to deal with sin, as he did on the cross, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For those of us who hope in Christ, that return of Christ, we don't know when it is, but he will come. And he will save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So I want you to think, just, just real seriously, if you're thinking about the, the things that bothered you the most or stressed you out the most this week or the things that weigh on you most heavily, think about this. Yet a little while and Jesus will come and he will come as king and as judge and our whole lives all our lives, both the corporate life of the church and our individual life, will be put in context in that moment when Jesus comes as king and as judge. Some of the things that worry us, that bother us the most, in light of that day, will seem very small. We don't know when that day is, but we are allowed as the people of God to say, listen, hang in there. You can do this. Jesus is coming. Jesus will come again. Jesus will make this right. Jesus will come as king and as judge. We need to hope in that. <coughs> Our hope should not just be far, far away, some mystical time, pie in the sky. Jesus will come. It may be that we die before that day. Maybe not. Okay? But he will come. We should be eagerly awaiting that day when he sets all things right. Let us encourage each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. That day should be one of immense hope. So hold fast. Hold fast together to the confession of your hope. Encourage one another together, stirring each up for love, stirring one up one another up to love and to good works. And don't neglect to meet together, but encourage one another and all the more because Jesus is coming.